a very good evening to you. Welcome along to another Sweet and Swing here on Max Radio. My name's Howard Kane. As always, a pleasure to be in your company this evening. Get your dancing shoes on, a bit of George Evans and his Symphony of Saxes. Sonny Stitt with Oscar Peterson. More from Bing and Friends. Flanders and Swan, of course, I'm enjoying them. And to start off... Well, you know what? I get a kick out of you. My story is much too sad to be told, but practically everything leaves me totally cold. The only exception I know is the case when I'm out on a quiet spree. Fighting vainly the old ennui And I suddenly turn and see Your fabulous face I get no kick from champagne Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all So tell me why should it be true that I get a kick out of you. Some get a kick from cocaine. I'm sure that if I took even one sniff, that would bore me terrifically too. Yet I get a kick out of you. I get a kick every time I see you're standing there before me. I get a kick, though it's clear to me you obviously don't adore me. I get no kick in a plane. Flying too high with some guy in the sky is my idea of nothing to do. Yet I get a kick out of you. Some guy in the sky is my idea of 
do. Yet I get a kick out of you. I always get a kick out of you because if you weren't there, I'd be sitting here talking to a microphone and uh, just like Johnny No Mates. So it'd be pointless, wouldn't it? How are we all this evening? Lovely to have your company, as I say, as ever. It's just nice to know there's someone there, isn't it? And uh, hopefully you enjoy the music in return. We always try and give a bit of a mixed bag. Don't forget, of course, anything you'd like to hear, haven't heard for a long time, an old piece, something you've been looking for, if we can help by we, that's the royal we, I mean me, and we can find something, then we'll dig it out and play it. That's the way it works. Uh, and we can't. We won't. Simple as that. But lovely to hear from you in any case. And we do get the odd letter, the odd line. Uh, I made me just think there's someone I haven't responded to, so I'll try and do that. Uh, a loyal listener across in the UK was trying to find a better way to listen on the podcast. My apologies if that was you. I'll get back to you. I haven't totally forgotten. It's just on my to-do list. I'll get there. I get a kick out of you. Good way to get going in any case. Who was singing then? Uh, well, who do you think it was? It was, of course, Ethel Merman with that very distinctive, quite sharp, quite loud, quite uh, punchy voice. Um, you wouldn't call it sort of subtle necessarily, would you? All necessarily beautiful. Nonetheless... She was massively successful. If you go back to the 1920s in a two-week engagement at a club down in midtown Manhattan called Little Russia, Merman met agent Lou Irwin, who arranged for her to audition for Archie Mayo, who was a film director, then under contract at Warner Brothers, and he offered her an exclusive six-month contract starting at $125 a week. This is the 1920s. $125 a week? I mean, what was that worth? Merman quit her day job, not surprised, only to find herself idle for weeks while waiting to be cast in a film. She urged Irwin to cancel her agreement with Mayo. Instead, he negotiated her a better deal, allowing her to perform in clubs whilst remaining on the Warner Brothers payroll. She was then hired as a torch singer at Les Ambassadeurs, where the headliner was one man with a distinctive hooter, Jimmy Durante. And the two went on to become lifelong friends. And she then caught the attention of columnists such as Walter Winchell and Mark Hellinger, who began to give her publicity. And not long later, she was making even more money. She performed on the prestigious Keith Circuit, signed to replace Ruth Etting in the Paramount film Follow the Leader, starring Ed Wynn and Ginger Rogers. And then following a successful seven-week run at the Brooklyn Paramount, she was signed to perform at the Palace for five hundred dollars a week this is in the early 1930s five hundred dollars i don't know what that is in real money but i think we're talking in long tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands a lot of money just goes to prove get in the right place at the right time and uh, who knows what you might make well done to her in any case a very distinctive and a still much loved character here's a bit of tommy dorsey Thank you. 
promised kiss of springtime that makes the lonely winter seem long. You are the breathless hush of evening that trembles on the brink of a lovely song. You are the angel glow that lights a star. The dearest things I know are what you are. Someday my happy arms will hold you and Good number that one, isn't it? You are, laddie, da 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 da. All the things you are, of course. Tommy Dorsey, with uh, Jack Leonard on the vocals in that particular case. Jack Leonard, very handsome-looking chap, uh, but also very diffident. Uh, apparently, he was very short-sighted, but uh, wouldn't wear uh, glasses in public because he thought it might ruin his romantic image. Started out as a beach singer, uh, and then sort of got his break. He was working with the government relief team building New York's Jones's Beach in the early 1930s and was singing Burt Block's orchestra when Tommy Dorsey heard him in 1936 and took him on. Famously, they had a bit of a falling out and he sort of disappeared and they patched it up and he said it was going to come back, but he never did. That's showbiz, as they say. That is showbiz. We have got in a few moments a little bit of a sunny stick. I found this one when I was rummaging again. A sunny stick with Oscar Peterson. We featured it down a year or two back. I remember enjoying it then, so I thought I'll dig it out and give it another little spin. Flanders and Swan as well, of course, to enjoy. And uh, more of the sentimental side of Bing Crosby. We'll stick with the Cole Porter for now. I think, uh, why not? So many good songs to choose from by Mr Porter Esquire. So uh, what about this one? What is this thing called love? Thank you. 
just who can solve its mystery? Why should it make a fool of me? I saw you there one wonderful day. You took my heart and threw it away. That's why I ask the Lord in heaven above. What is this thing?
Oh, yes, that's the way to do it. Very nice indeed. They are a little twofer for you there. I can't give you anything but love. And before that, what is this thing called love? What is this thing called love? And then I can't give you anything but love. Very nice indeed. Uh, Sonny Stitt sits in with the Oscar Peterson trio. And, yeah, it was one of those chance meetings, late 1950s. And Oscar Peterson uh, recorded two albums in a day. You wouldn't, wouldn't think that's possible these days, would you? Have we gone forwards or backwards with technology? I don't know. The, the music's just as good, and yet could knock off two in a day. Now, sort of one album takes about eight years. Uh, anyway, he, he knocked off two in one day for the Jazz at the Philharmonic Spring Tour of Europe. It was drawing to the close of the tour at the Salpeel in uh, Paris on May, May the 1st. And Peterson were there with uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Roy Eldridge and Stan Getz and quite a few others. He played two concerts with audiences of more than 5,000 and people turned away as well. And uh, there were lots of pictures of those taken as well. And on May the 22nd, Norman Grants, he of uh, JATP fame, uh, was there presenting another roster with Gene Krupa's quartet, Jerry Mulligan, Art Farmer, Jimmy Jufri trio. Uh, but he also, while he was at it, not to let you know, in case they were getting bored, he uh, hired a studio as well and uh, took advantage of a gap in the schedule in mid-May to get a studio in Paris. We'll never know whether it was just record Oscar Peterson's brand new trio with Ray Brown and bass and Ed Thigpen on the drums, or not, uh, as it was. They got in there with Sonny Stitt, who'd just flown in as well, and pretty much said, yeah, I'll come, I'll come and play, man, that's no problem. Uh, so it's one of those things that wasn't really planned so much as it just happened. So there he was, Oscar Peterson piano, Ray Brown bass, Ed Thigpen drums, Sonny Stitt on tenor. Rather a good sound they make, I think, don't you reckon? Yes, enjoyed that album. Like I said, we featured it a while back and uh, nice to hear another track from it there as well. Tis Wheaton Swing, H with you through until the uh, top of the hour. Always lovely to have your company, of course. Uh, more of the sentimental side of Bing. The world of Bing Crosby. On the sentimental side, some lesser-known songs, perhaps, maybe like this one. My heart is taking lessons. <laughs> My heart is taking lessons, learning how to sing. Every morning, la 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 la, poor thing. My heart is taking lessons, conscientiously. Every moment, la 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 la, it amazes me. And oh, how hard it labors. Try and make the grade It must annoy the neighbors Practicing upon a serenade My heart is taking lessons And I noticed too It began to la 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 When I looked at you
hearts take lessons Learning how to sing Every morning, la 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 Poor thing My hearts take lessons So conscientiously Every moment, la 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 It amazes me And oh, how hard it labors To try and make the grade It must annoy the neighbors Practicing upon a serenade My hearts take lessons And I noticed too It began to la 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 When I looked at you my heart taking lessons, of course. Bing Crosby on the sentimental side. It's my brain which should be taking lessons rather than my heart. Just giving you some tough information there, haven't I? So top marks if you're shouting at the radio saying, what are you talking about, H, you numpty? It wasn't Tommy Dorsey doing what is this thing called love? It was Leo Reisman. Yes, you're right. It was. That was the twofer. It was Leo Reisman and then, of course, uh, Oscar Peterson with Sonny Stitt. Ah, dear me, I told you. Honestly, what is this thing called love? Leo Reisman and his orchestra with uh, uh, Bubba Miley on trumpet, Eddie Dush on piano, and uh, great vocals by Lewis Conrad and the uh, lovely China cymbal ending going straight into... Then we went into the Sunny Stitt with Oscar Peterson. That was your two from before that, of course. It was Jack Leonard singing with Tommy Dorsey. Yeah, brain lessons needed, not heart lessons. In the meantime... Dancing lessons. Take your partner if you've got one. If not, just use the cat or a cushion for a quick step. Thank you. 
Chicago, of course. You recognise that. George Evans and his Symphony of Saxes, the greatest for dancing, as it suggests on the box. And I can tell you, and you probably knew if you were doing it, that was a quick step. And, uh, yeah, he's got various quick steps, and uh, there are some foxtrots, a slow foxtrot there, and a cha-cha-cha. used to be able to do the cha-cha-cha, one and two and cha-cha-cha, and three and four and cha-cha-cha. I was the cha-cha king of Paul Rose at one stage, but that was quite a long time ago. And uh, some waltzes, of course, all good stuff. Oh, and a samba. If you know how to samba, I can't say I do. Uh, But (laughs) if you're of the dancing persuasion, he was the one... For you back in the day, George Evans, very popular indeed back in his time, one of Britain's top band leaders and performing musicians, and born in London, of course, in the early part of the 20th century, tried quite a few uh, instruments before settling on the tenor sax and soon became a very good player. Great demand for recording sessions as well, before he was even into his 20s, still in his teens, and he'd been appearing with Nakinella, Sid Lipton, Benny Carter. He had a great association with Geraldo. Uh, from the late 30s, he was playing uh, and also singing and arranging with Geraldo and became principal arranger for Geraldo, mainly arranging a lot of the later sessions with Al Bowley. Uh, also worked with Kent Snakehips Johnson before his tragic demise, of course, and then started out on his own account, Ten Sides for Decker, as the George Evans Orchestra, first directed by his brother, keep it in the family, Leslie Evans, with George himself on clarinet, tenor sax and vocals, and in 1945, at the end of the war, formed his first big band, ten saxes, five brass, plus rhythm. That's a fair size, isn't it? <laughs> and it was rather too big and too advanced for commercial use, and it's... Uh, Fate was sealed when uh, George got lung trouble and Leslie took over until 1947. Then it finally collapsed altogether. But not to be undeterred, not to be put off, he returned in 1949, forming a student band and had some success, but then broke up. And then in the 50s, early 50s, he applied for the post of band leader in the northeast of the top venue, the Oxford Galleries in Newcastle upon Tyne. Uh, There's a lovely story here that says... uh, However, when he first heard the band, the owner of the Oxford Galleries, Alf Shepherd, was appalled. Stop that noise and get rid of all those trumpets and things or you get sacked. <laughs> that's, that's a comfort, that is, isn't it, if you're going for you know, your uh, interview or your audition to have the owner of the uh, venue shouting that at you. Uh, but yes, as I say, he was never one to be put down with George. He quickly reformed the band with some local musicians, nine saxes directed by himself and Billy Hutchinson on a piano and organ and five brass, and then with some lovely brushed drums, made a lovely creamy sound that became an instant hit. Even with the very grumpy clubburner, I believe. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, those were the days. Right, some Flanders and Swan and... Uh, Here's one you don't often hear. It might be something you could be doing at this very moment. What is it, Mr. Swan? It's about bathing. It's called In the Bath. Oh, I find a much simple pleasure when I've had a tiring day. In the bath, in the bath, where the noise of gentle sponging Seems to blend with my top A In the bath, in the bath To the skull of pipes vibrating In the boiler of below I sing a potpourri 
of all the songs I used to know. And the water thunders in and gurgles down the overflow in the bath, in the bath. You see. And then the loathing for my fellows rises steaming from my brain in the bath, in the bath, in the bath. And condenses to the milk of human kindness once again in the bath, in the bath. Oh, the tingling of the scrubbing brush, the flannel soft caress. To wield a lordly loofah is a joy I can't express. How truly is it spoken, one is next to godliness in the bath, in the bath. <laughs> then there comes that dreadful moment when the water's running cold in the bath, in the bath. When the soap is lost forever And you're feeling tired and old In the bath, in the bath It's time to pull the plug out Time to mop the bathroom floor The towel is in the cupboard And the cupboard is next door <laughs> it's, it's started running hot Let's, let's have, have another hour or more In the bath, in the bath I can, I can see, see the, the one salvation Of the poor old human race, race In the bath in the bath, let the nations of the world all meet together face to face. In the bath, in the bath, with Perfect and Kenyatta and all those other chaps. Then we'll have some peace, perhaps, provided Swan Farmers get the end without the taps. In the bath, <laughs> yes, go straight into the next one there. And uh, great applause there for a great song. Not one you hear that often, really. In the bath. You could be in the bath at the moment. Who knows? I mean, you know, I've got a, a shower in the radio. Uh, I've got a radio. I told you my brain's not working tonight. I've got a radio in the shower even. I haven't got the shower in the radio. This was a very big radio. Uh, <laughs> so you can get waterproof ones. But in the bath, I suppose, you can just leave it on the side, can't you? Very easy. And... It's fallen from favour a little bit bathing in that same way, hasn't it? Personally, I do enjoy a good soak from time to time. And one of my best friends, whenever he comes across, he has a bath every evening, without fail. Always likes a bath before tea. And that was the way we were brought up. We always used to have a bath. Although I have to say, and this is oft a subject for debate after a whiskey or two when you have friends around of an evening. You know what I mean. Uh, it's that thing of when I was a kid, we had a bath, but once a week. None of this bathing once a night malarkey once a week was bath night Saturday night was bath night and that was it the rest of the week you washed your face and your hands and gave yourself a, you know, a bit of a scrub and did your teeth and all the other bits and pieces but you didn't actually bathe or shower well you didn't shower because we didn't have a shower to be honest now it seems to have taken over somewhat doesn't it but it was a strange foreign contraption when it first arrived in the Kane household showers a shower grandad what's that very odd indeed but they seem to have dominated I suppose the domestic cleaning scene these days and some people you speak to some young folk and the idea of wallowing in your own muck is a bit like you know, their hippo song <laughs> you know why would you want to go into a bath and sit there sort of scrubbing muck off yourself and then sit in all the dirty water they, ooh, yes some people don't like it at all but frankly if you're of a certain age and I think most of us here are then a good soak is pretty good and good for the old muscles they've been in the garden for days on end 
as well, isn't it? Flanders and Swan. We might go into the bestry of Flanders and Swan next week. I don't know. Some of the nice animal ones. Why not? There's some classic ones there. In the meantime, I think we'll head uh, stateside. We'll cross the pond and see what Stan Kenton and his orchestra are up to. was rather lovely, wasn't it? Bet you thought it was all going to be screaming horns and monarch with Stan Kenton, but no, the subtler side of Stan Kenton there. He did have one, and that was it. Well, one of them, in any case. And great vocals from the band there as well, which you don't hear that sort of band singing 
It's very much a sort of 40s, 50s thing, that isn't it? You don't hear it anymore. Synonymous with the label Capital, Stan, of course, did a few Brunswick ones as well, I think, in the early 40s. But pretty much Capital Records, Stan Kenton, the two go together like a hard-boiled egg and salt. And it was one of the first big band leaders to sign up with them, which is maybe why he stayed with them so long, right through to the uh, late 1960s. And, well, yeah, very well-known, really popular post-war as well, did lots of fantastic uh, arranging. June Christie sang with him for a long time, of course. Uh, Neil Hefty did some arranging. And the great Art Pepper, one of the many musicians who found their way to fame via the Stan Kenton Orchestra. Laura, of course, lovely number that. And I thought, yeah, nice, subtle, laid-back reading. We enjoyed that one. Uh, We haven't had our jazzing the classics for today yet, have we? Um, We must be getting towards the end because I'm looking now and thinking, which ones have we had and which ones have we not had? And uh, to be honest, I can't remember. (laughs) I could go back through the notes, but um, yeah, well, no, we haven't got time over it for that. I don't think we've had this one. On the Isle of May, Connie Boswell. along through the heather and it was June June on the Isle of May Your lips were sweet as the heather Love was in bloom there on the Isle of May In your arms, heaven opened its doors. Then, like a fool, I sailed away. But our love will bring us together when it is June, June on the ice. you like that? June on the Isle of May. 
Recognise it? Would you recognise the song? I don't even know whether I recognise the song to be with you, but uh, very nice. Indeed, Connie Boswell taking the vocals there. Based on, I'm informed, and I probably wouldn't have got this, bearing in mind it is jazzing the classics, after Tchaikovsky's Andante Cantabile, a number three hit for Connie Boswell, with Victor Young and his orchestra back in the 1940s, recorded in January of 1940, that one. And uh, none the worse for that, either. Um... It is Sweet and Swing. How much time? Oh, yes, we have. I can squeeze another one or two in yet. We're not too bad. Uh, where are we going from here? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's a good one that's been lurking in the bag for a wee while, which was Swinging. Oh, swinging in Paris, or another one of those collections of Jazz in Paris, 50 Reasons to Love the Parisian, uh, Paris, or the French capital. A Parisian thoroughfare, Quincy Jones and his orchestra. <laughs> Thank you. 
and there it goes, Quincy Jones and the orchestra. Loving Paris, or at least loving that Parisian thoroughfare. Great track by the uh, pianist Bud Powell. Uh, all sorts of great players on that one. Clark Terry's in there. Jimmy Cleveland's playing as well. Bud Johnson is there. Sahib Shehab on uh, baritone. Uh, Buddy Catless. Quincy Jones himself, of course, arranging and conducting that back in the uh, early early 1960s. Modern, definitely modern for our sort of things. And it's all music dedicated to the city of love, Paris, of course. 50 reasons to love Paris ever since Cole Porter made that confession. I love Paris every moment in his musical can-can. Over a hundred jazzers have made the same admission with their own versions of it. And at least three times that many have used April in Paris. And then there's Paris... Uh, Je t'aime d'amour, a little hit for Maurice Chevalier, who sang it in 1929. It's Paris, stay the same. I think that was in Love Parade. Lovely city. It's been a bit troubled of late, hasn't it? But still a lovely city, one way or another. Uh, I must get back at some stage, although every time I look, there always seems to be another rise or something unpleasant going on in there. We've been enjoying this one uh, off and on over the last few weeks. Marigold, Eric Larkin, playing the piano impressions of Billy Mayle. And here he is aptly named, a nimble-fingered gentleman.
How about that? Very aptly named, isn't it? If you weren't nimble-fingered, you wouldn't be able to do much with that one. I don't think. Those runs and arpeggios and scales up and down the keyboard. Uh, remarkable, and uh, done with remarkable accuracy there by Eric Parkin, playing the piano impressions of Billy Mayle and his pieces. Always deceptively easy-sounding. The old maestro used to play them as well and uh, said, yeah, they all sounded very easy, but they ain't, as, they, <laughs> as the saying goes getting them under your fingers and doing them so accurately. Really tricky indeed. Eric Parkin, as you were saying, lifelong enthusiasm for British composers from the 20th century. Uh, Loves playing John Ireland, but uh, also has played uh, Bax and Britain and Bliss and around 70 concertos and uh, also a love of French music as he uh, studied in France, I think, back as a youth. But you can't go wrong with a little bit of uh, Billy Mayle And it's more than just Marigold. You know, Marigold might be the one everyone remembers, but so much more. Not much more for me, though. I'll go and get a new brain for next week. Look after yourselves. Have a bath if you fancy it. And I'll see you then. Cheerio. (laughs) 